Hi, welcome to Lit KC. I'm your host, Jason Prue. Today, my guest on the show is M.G. Salazar. M.G. is a writer, an activist, and an entrepreneur living and working in Kansas City. They are an absolute hoot, and they share some great stories with us today. I think you're going to enjoy the hell out of this. Before we get into the interview with uh, M.G., I just wanted to take a moment to share with you a revelation. Today, I watched, listened, and read to Zero News, and it felt so good. I don't know if you're burned out as I am with uh, the Trump media cycle, but it's killing me slowly. And I feel it's my duty to stay on top of this shit, but oh my god, my level of stress in response to all this madness can't be overstated at any rate I just wanted to share that if you haven't given yourself a news break do it and here they are folks M.G. Salazar we can either clean okay. it up or let it slide I was, I'm just gonna warn you so if you do hear that like intermittent beep like that's what that is it's... I have had my blood sugar meter go off during the middle of these things I'm just like, okay it's, yeah. that's real life <laughs> I didn't figure it was a big deal, but I yeah. I, I mean, thankfully, I'd I'm not going on the radio. It's just, you know, it's yeah. a personal thing. Um, so you didn't grow up in Kansas City. Um, I did mostly. We moved here when I was like a month from turning seven. Oh shit! Um, well, yeah, then you. Pre- so pretty much, I um I was born in Santa Barbara, California, and we lived there until I was a month from turning four, and then we lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, for like that three years in between. So then we moved to um, Prairie Village, and then I lived in Leewood for a long time. Uh, and then, like, as soon as I graduated high school, I was, like, in the river market. So I yeah. lived in, you know, Kansas City proper, like, ever What's, since uh, What high school did you go to? Blue Valley High School. Did you like it? I hated it. It, it was did awful. not get along at all? No, yeah. it was not good. Um, I was, like, the punk kid, though, so, yeah. like, people were afraid of me. So I had, like, 10-inch Liberty Spikes and... Wore, like, a leather jacket everywhere and Doc Martin. So, like, everyone was just kind of like, we don't know what the hell's going on over there, but, uh... You Did know. you end up just coming down to the city and kicking it anyway? Yeah, I was, a uh, Actually, I was laughing about this with my friend yesterday. I was not allowed to drive north of 119th Street, so... Like, like I, your parents? Yeah, like, no, like you my can't parents go to... were like, you cannot go north of 119th Street. And I'm like, um, no, this isn't going to work for me. So, like... <laughs> Uh, I became a very accomplished liar and uh, <laughs> swindler and uh, all-around dishonest person <laughs> and drove out to Topeka and Lawrence and Gladstone and, you know, Lee Summit um, and, you know, down here to Kansas City. So we just, we drove everywhere. <laughs> did, you just, uh, did you just give the standard lies hanging out at a friend's house? Yeah, hanging out at a friend's yep. house. I learned to do the... Um, because I drove a, a Volkswagen Beetle, a blue one. So, because I had wanted a, this $500 Pinto um, that my friend was selling, and he had sold it to me uh, with the tagline that it had already been hit in the back and oh. hadn't exploded. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was worth $500. So I told my dad, like, because I had my own money saved from working at Hobby Lobby of all places. Um, and said I was going to buy it, and he freaked out and went out and got me a a Volkswagen Beetle. So it was a pretty easy car to, like, find, you know what I mean? So I had to be really creative, and um, and so I went to a lot of people's um, dad's houses 
that of divorced parents where they would like live with their mom most of the time. It's like, oh, since this is their dad's house, I'm just gonna run out there. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I do that, and like you know, um, also Johnson County is like a complete fishbowl. So like I would have to like scoot out on the highways real fast because <laughs> people would totally call your parents and be like, I saw so and so driving on blah blah blah. It was amazing. Um, Were you going to shows? Just going to friends' house in the city? I was cities? going to shows. Yeah. I was going to um, different people I was dating's houses. Yeah. Um, I was going to Lawrence to go book and record shopping and clothes shopping and uh, Topeka because my friends had a punk house there. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, I was coming down to the city to go to El Torreon and, uh, and River Market and and hang out by the river and the Tor Young Club used to be something else. Oh my god, yeah, it was like the most amazing thing in my teenagerhood. <laughs> did uh so were you before or after Daily Grind? Mm. Did you catch the tail end of it maybe? I probably was after that. Yeah. Yeah. I started going to Torion in like two thousand. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I think it was like around two thousand because that's when I would have gotten a car. Yeah. So, so yeah, 2000 like 2003 when Brian stopped running the club yeah. the way it was. So, and it's like the saddest day ever. Well, it sucked cuz like we used to go to Sydney's where IFA Tower is yep, now. Yep. So, we would like go to Altorian after the show, go to Sydney's and then Sydney's closed and then Altorian closed and I was just like I've lost all of my safe space. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you find yourself getting out to any live music today in KC? Um I, like, am a hermit person. Like, you I, do your work, and I, then you just hang out yeah, at home? Like, yeah, well, I work at the Arts Bar, so mm -hmm. I get to hear a lot of live music. I mean, Thursday night's karaoke night, and that's, yeah. like, my night. So it's, like, um, it's a great catharsis, I think, for everybody that goes, which is, like, amazing, because we're all really, like, hilariously supportive, and... Uh, we have some amazing singers. Like, we have all these, like, old theater, you know, majors or, like, kids that were in theater but now are, like, in computers and, like, this is the one day a week they oh, come that's out fun. and are, like... Oh, so it's all, like, Broadway musicals and, like, just, like, <laughs> amazing shit, man. Like, people are, like, ugh, karaoke, and I'm, like... Pfft. I don't know. I think that shit is fun regardless it's of what... So even if fun. you have nobody singing good, it's just we, a blast. Yeah, like, uh, one of my favorite, Ben Summers taco celebrity, um, he's eaten more tacos than anyone at Rico's Tacos Lupe on uh, the boulevard. He literally, if you go there, <laughs> his picture's the up there, like, three fucking times, man. He has t-shirts. Like, he's a, a champion of that tacos. That is hilarious. <laughs> and he... Um, he screams Miley Cyrus songs most of the time. And it's amazing. It's just the most fun thing like ever like he just gets others like and he's also like six foot six bald with a huge red beard and like just very imposing guy he's like he's the guy you want to be your bodyguard yeah. or you're like you know um the queen's bodyguard like i would hire him to be the queen's bodyguard <laughs> but um he just gets up there and is like, I'm coming like a wrecking ball. It feels good. It it's amazing. It feels good to let that, I love especially the songs him. you know and love, like, yeah. I'm just going to let it go. And yeah. the people don't care. It's great. You know, it's I, all part of the game. Everyone's just like, you know, <laughs> kumbaya and shit in the audience. It's so funny. How long have you been working at the Arts Bar? Oh, God, it'll be three years in September. So it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, um, I started working there, like, September 5th, I think. I went September 3rd because I had um, 
my first show there, September 10th, which I booked before I got hired. Oh, I'm like, wait a minute, there's some nepotism here. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? No, I, I booked the show before I got hired, and I actually didn't realize that I had booked my own solo show. <laughs> I thought I had, like, booked myself as a performer on a show. So when I, like, you know, figured it out that I had two hours to myself on stage, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Was like, that for when your pop book came out? No, this oh. was, like, way before that. This was when I had just started, like, going to, like, open mic and, gotcha. like, the Blue Monday thing um, with uh, the jar of mayonnaise that shall not be named. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, at the time, had just written a bunch of music, uh, and so I sang a bunch of songs and read a bunch of poetry and somehow entertained people for two hours. Um and then they all stayed for karaoke, and then they all kept coming back ever since. So it's been three years. <laughs> it was really just amazing how organically that all worked out. And Jeanette and I have the same birthday, um, which is hilarious. She's yeah. actually the second manager I've had that we have the same birthday. So, um, yeah, so we found that out immediately when I interviewed and we just like I had never met her before we interviewed. Had uh, you been job. around and seen her do her thing at all? I hadn't really like I had like heard of her, but I hadn't like seen her yet at like an open mic and like she didn't really go to Blue Mondays, so I wasn't really like aware quite yet. But she like gave me one of her books really early on, and I was just like, oh yeah, I'm down. Like whatever you're doing, I'm down. So. Um, so, yeah, I bought that ticket and took that ride, and it's been pretty good. Talk to me a little bit about that place, because there's something, <laughs> as, you know, I know Jeanette well. I know some of the other shit that goes on there, but for the most yeah. part, it's, there's a bit of magic that happens yeah, at that spot. It's um, it's a unique place. It really is. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, the staff doesn't really put up with any shit. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't put up with any shit. I've broken a golf club over the bar at someone. Like, I don't fuck around. Like, you follow my rules or you leave my bar. So I think that really cuts down on, like, the incidences of people feeling uncomfortable or feeling accosted or, like, um, like my friends know or, like, any of my patrons know, like, if anyone's ever fucking with them, like, they come and they find me and I go and I take care of the problem immediately. And there's no questions asked. There's no... Like, if you want to cause a scene, you can cause a fucking scene, but I'm going to win. And that's just the end of the story. Like, either I will kill you or, you know, you will leave you quietly. You get out and shut up. You will get out. That's the I will drag your body outside. I don't care. Like, you know. Um, so, especially since our, our clientele is mostly queer, yeah. young, like, artists. And, you know, we're sensitive people. A lot of artists are very sensitive people. That's why we're fucking artists. So... Um, going into a normal bar environment for a lot of people is just super overwhelming. And like, you know, you're not going to find people there that are interested in talking about the stuff that you want to talk about. Like, you're not going to go to, well, I was going to say buzzard, but like, you're not going to go to uh, power and light district to have a philosophical conversation. Well, you add alcohol to that mix. Yeah. And shit does take weird, weird turns. Yeah. And I don't see that at Arts Bar. Maybe I know it happens because you just mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, it happens. Shit happens. Um, but, but for the most part, it. yeah, it's a space where people that know, yeah. they're going to take care of us. Yeah. And so I think, like, since we have that reputation, like, I think it really discourages the wrong kind of people yeah. from coming in. 
And like, you know, I've chased an old man down the street with a police baton. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, everyone sees what happens. So, like, when that shit does happen, they know that I'm going to be immediately on it. Um, which is cool. Like, I've leapt over the bar before. Like, I don't care. Like, I will be on it immediately. Because I hate it when people think that they are entitled to make everyone else feel uncomfortable. And I especially hate that when it's towards marginalized people. And I don't deal with being mad for very long because I just take care of it. Mm. I'm like, you are angering me and I'm removing you from this situation. Like, nobody wants your yeah. bullshit. No. And, like, I police their language, too. I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. if you're calling somebody a bitch, you're getting the fuck out of my bar immediately. Like, done. You're out. You're making any lewd comments, suggestions, unwanted, like, motions of a sexual nature, you're fucking out. And you're banned for good. Like, I'm done. I don't fuck around. <laughs> I just don't. So I think that, like, um, and, you know, most of the other staff, we're all on that. Like, we all have that confidence, I think. Um, and it's funny when somebody first starts and they don't quite have that confidence yet. And so, like, you kind of have to be like, no, this is where, like, you know. This is why we have to do this. Yeah, like, yeah. like, and all the anger and, like, rage that you have towards people that have, like, oppressed you, that's what you use when you talk to these people. <laughs> well, because yeah, that... that is what that person is. But you're in the position of power now. Yeah. Because you have the, you know, um, we have, like, right of attorney or whatever to throw whoever the yeah. fuck out of the bar that we want to. And if they don't get out of the bar, we call the police and say this person won't leave our bar. And until you leave the bar, I can use physical force against you to do whatever the fuck I can to get you out well, of the bar. Well, that's a pretty fucked up reversal. Yeah. Right? For someone who's not used to mm -hmm. not being, having that power. Yeah. And never having been in a space where they don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, so yeah, like, like Zofia, for instance, I don't know if you know yeah. Zofia, but, um, like at first when she first started working there, she was very hesitant to throw people out or even like kind of say anything. Like, if she saw people doing stuff, and I'm like, no, dude, you're the fucking boss here. Like, you know, as far as they're concerned, you're the god of Arts Bar. And I've actually, I said that to one little shit who tried to order a beer when he was 20 years old. He handed me his ID, like, I'm not going to check the date. I'm like, you're 20. You need to get out of the bar. <laughs> who the fuck do you think you are? As far as you're concerned, I'm the god of this bar. <laughs> get out. <laughs> So, yeah, like, so seeing her, like, really step up and, like, get that confidence, like, I've seen her, like, now, like, throw people out where she is just, like, <laughs> she wants to just, like, march this person down the stairs <laughs> and, like, had them by the She went upstairs, took their asses downstairs. And took them outside and, like, yelled the whole way, like, their list of sins. <laughs> <laughs> and she like opens the door like flings it open like throws it out she's like never fucking come back and then she turns around and is like let that be a lesson to all of you <laughs> in a deep breath alright it was amazing back to normal that's funny it was the coolest thing I've ever seen and I was just like like tears streaming down my face like I was so proud <laughs> like, yeah it is like my baby's all grown up I know I was like I taught you good I did a good thing for you. <coughs> and so, yeah, it's a So you mentioned that place, but right good. before you started really working there, you were starting to do a performance around town. Yeah. Um, I actually, a long time ago, was in um, 
like the active round of the Latino Writers Collective. Yep. I'm still in the collective, but in more of like a I'm I went off in a different direction with La Resistencia. Um, so um, I used to read at universities all the time, and like we went out to like Pitt State and like read everywhere in town and like libraries. I used to work at the library too. Um, so has writing and performing been something you've done? Yeah, actually, my mom found a diary of mine. I was like. I think six or seven. Oh, that's great. And I wrote, I'm going to be a writer that in my cool. diary. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's like ever, I was, I started reading when I was like two, like I was like kind of young and like my parents would read to me like every night though. And, um, my best friend at the time's dad was Greek. And so he would read to us in Greek and like, um, you know, he taught us like, you know, some, some Greek and. I remember being upset because my parents couldn't read me the book that he gave me when I moved away because it's in fucking Greek. So, um, but uh, yeah, books have always been. I always had a bookshelf. I always had books. My parents were always good about taking me to the library. Um, they used to complain endlessly about how much I read because it was like at the dinner table, you know, yeah, every, never put everywhere. It down. Yeah. Like I just was nonstop, just head in a book. Um, what did it do for you? Um, everything, like literally everything. I mean, because this was before this was before punk. This was before you, you yeah. know, had to go off and do your own thing. I mean, yeah. what was it doing for you that young? Um, well, when we first moved here, it was like super alienating yeah. because, like, I spoke with a New Mexican accent. I don't now, but it's because I used to like because I. I asked my parents, like, you know, how do people speak here? Because everyone tells me I have an accent and doesn't believe me that I was born in this country. So. Oh, shit, really? <laughs> yeah, they were like, what country are you from? California. That's in the United States. Yeah, fucking I know, okay? Good job. Um, and so they were like, well, watch the news. So I used to watch the news every night from, like, age almost seven on to imitate the speech pattern. Yeah. And so, like, whenever I take those, like, stupid online quizzes that's like you have the you know Connecticut blah 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 accent or whatever they call it newscaster speak and that's right they call that the east coast ivy yeah, whatever <laughs> like which is hilarious because um now i sound so white that my friends always make me be their fake landlord that when the new people call they want them to call me cuz i'm like this is monique with ellis real estate services Yes, calling in regards to so-and-so. Well, yes, of course. Certainly. One moment. <laughs> so white. Like, yeah. oh, my God. Like, I just... Ugh. So, um, it's... Uh, yeah, it was... It's just funny. But um, it was really, like, traumatizing moving here. And I didn't have any friends. So it was like... I just read books all the yeah. time. All the time. Read books, wrote stories, like... Well, what I find is that... You have that window, and if that becomes your your way to do anything, like you never lose it. My son's got the same thing, and it yeah. wasn't. It was just we turned him on to reading, mm -hmm. and now everywhere, books, yeah. books, 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 books. And yeah. there's that window. I think because our daughter doesn't really have that. Uh -huh. She likes reading, but she didn't have that. Like I'm gonna jump in in this age, and have a book everywhere. Yeah. So I just find it interesting as to what it is that that triggers that. Right, it's people. like what makes you do that. Yeah, I just I just loved them. Like I just love everything about books. I love the way they feel, the way they smell. I love like the romance of them. Like 
Um, I can't read the Kindle things like or like reading on the iPad. Like actually, I can do it, but I don't. It doesn't feel the same. I hate it. Like, like it's just information processing. There's no yeah, joy. <laughs> There's, I'll read like you know like in nonfiction like that's scholarly. It. I will read scholarly journals, things. It's like, history. It is news. I'll read that. Um, but if I'm reading a story, like I want to hug. I want to hug the story yeah. in my hands. <laughs> So, I don't know how it's tactile. Yeah, it's it absolutely is. it's kinesthetic and tactile and like you can go back and I, there's also like the thrill of the hunt too when yeah, you're looking for something. Tracking it down or like, tracking down what you need without the search function. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that are special about books in and of themselves. I'm that person that goes to the library to use the microfiche machine because do you I love think it about so that much. when you write it all? I do like actually because I know your first book. My first book had a lot of it was um, a book, old stuff, and it meant yeah. to be a book. Like, yeah, it wasn't. There, there are a few books in that pop series that mm-hmm. were constructed, like most were collections. Right. Yeah. You know? um, but yours was a piece in and of itself that couldn't have worked. Yeah. You know, it's a book. Yeah, it was very. I was very adamant that it had a, a beginning, a middle, and yeah. an end, and I was also pretty adamant that it not just be traditional poetry, which is why, like, I added in, like, the museum descriptions. Because yeah. um, I I think museum descriptions can be, like, the most beautiful thing in the world or they can be absolutely fucking hideous, you know what I mean? So it just kind of depends on who's writing them. Um, and, you know, as a collector of things, obviously, um, and there's a... I have my small collection of things that is, like, I've carried with me yeah. forever and will probably carry with me forever, Um these pieces being three of them. Um, uh, I totally lost my train. We were talking about the making of the book. Right. And um, why it had to be the way so it was. So, yeah. So, that's why, like, I included that because of the poetry of that. And uh, I also kind of, I wanted it to to feel like um, you were watching a black and white movie that had been, like, hand-tinted. Um, so, that was, like, my aesthetic going for what you should, you know feel like you're reading it in um maybe that's like going way too in depth with it but that's that's what I thought I wanted it to be like you were watching a vintage film that was haunted see that's not too in depth like <laughs> you should put that much thought into the thing you're making yeah yeah <laughs> I mean that's appreciated and I don't know as a reader like that's the stuff that if that tone and that sense comes across I'm like holy shit right like now I have a whole new thing of how to wrap myself into this yeah um that I want in the things yeah. that I read, you know, because that's what lasts. Right, yeah. You read a million books a year, but the ones that stick to you are the ones that are like, oh my gosh, there are layers, there are levels. Right. There's a reason to go back to it. Yeah, you yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, and yeah, I think I did that. I, I think I pulled that off in the first book. I don't feel like I pulled that off in the second book so much, but... The second book, though, when you... Think about it, like, MG. Like, there was a different reason for that book to yeah, exist. Yeah, that that was not... Um, that was not for the sake of making something... It was news poems. It like, was, like... Sh- <laughs> like... When I think about that time, you went up there, and we're talking about Standing Rock for people that aren't familiar <laughs> with the MGs. Oh, yeah. The, over in, you the, know... This, the whole Standing Rock, yes, that's very important to add. <laughs> um, but you were there for a while, uh, about two weeks total. Yeah, um, which is a long time in the scheme of trying to make a living. Yeah, and uh, it's very cold up there. <laughs> um, it was 
Although I, I was really smart about it because I went in November and then I went again in January. Yeah. So November actually wasn't that bad. Like my Pendleton shirt, I got I had like this 1950s Pendleton shirt that I still have. It's wool and fucking amazing. Kept like, you straight so, the whole time. Yeah. So good. And then like when I went back in January, I was like, okay, it's going to be like negative 20 and it's going to be cold AF. So, um, being a vintage dealer and having access to a lot of uh, so, old furs. Who's got the furs? <laughs> yeah. And not a lot of whole, you know, whole furs are kept in great shape. Like, you know, I have these, but like this is, I probably got, for every fur coat that I get that's like beautiful and perfect, I probably have five or six furs come through the shop. And I'll, like, I sell the damaged ones for like, you know, cheap because yeah. it's like if you want to use them for a costume piece and like glue them it'd be perfect yeah. but it yeah it's just not a, a beautiful like wear out piece yep. you know what i mean um so uh so i had a couple of damaged minks i had a damaged beaver and um a damaged nutria and what's great about that is that beaver and nutria are both river yeah. animals so their uh fur is waterproof which is perfect because when you breathe out, you breathe out water. Oh, water vapor, yeah. And so if you have um, a fur mask up against your mouth and you're breathing water on it, it's going to freeze. And then your mouth is going to be fucking cold, right? So I made myself this hat out of the beaver fur that had like this like mouth covering. Yeah. And like I could like see out here and it was just like... And then I had mink gloves and <laughs> mink socks and mink leggings and like a nutrient covered shirt. <laughs> and I was like fucking ready, right? And um, yeah, it wasn't that bad actually. Um, I I was kept pretty pretty warm. Did the did the poems come after your second visit or in between yeah. or just the whole way through? Were you it writing was, and thinking it was about what after, you needed? Like. I didn't even think about writing a book when I went down there the first time. Like, the first time I was just like, this is what I need to do, yeah. so I'm here and I'm doing it. And then um, it was when I came back and, like, I started doing the, like, uh, stories from Standing Rock presentations, like, just to let people know what was happening. Um, that's when someone was like, you should, you need to write a book. And I was like, yeah, I should write a book. Um, so the second time I went up there... I knew I was writing a book, and I kept notes, and um, I wrote some of the poems while I was up there, and then, like, I came home and just, like, both of my books were written in a matter of days. Like, the first book, I think I wrote it in two and a half days, and the second book took four days. Yeah. Um, so, basically, I just, like, go in my cave and like just like word vomit until it's over um so like actually like the way like the process that I write poetry is that I, I keep it all inside for a very long time and then it just like when it's like okay I have time now I have these ideas and then I just sit down and it's like Bleh. so it looks like I'm getting a lot done <laughs> over time it's really not it's like that like stay up all night before the college paper is due type shit Get like out. just yeah. run it to the fucking end of the finish line um so so yeah I came back with some of them done and some of like most of the book was not done um but I had most of it written in my head I just had to put it down so um yeah I had a a good like 
just like 18 hour layover in Beersford, South Dakota. Because <laughs> I got ran off the road in a fucking blizzard. Oh, shit. <laughs> it was, it could have been a lot worse than it was, but it was bad. <clears throat> um, yeah, the guy behind me had his like brights on and I couldn't see anything in front yeah. of me. And so I like went off the road and like, um, he left me. <laughs> he like got out and was like, you okay? And I was like, I think so. And then he just left. It's like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck you. I'm stuck. So I'm like honking my horn. And I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, God damn it. So, uh, this trucker had pulled over in front of me cause he couldn't see anymore. And so like, I look out and there's this like little figure in the snow coming for me. <laughs> it's this trucker oh, dude. Shit. And so I'm like, God, I hope he's not a fucking serial killer. And so, um, you know, he comes up and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just like really stuck. So he tried to get it out and ended up driving me further <laughs> into yeah. the ditch. Cause we just slipped down. It was like, it wasn't even his fault. It was just like, just fucking you're mess. in a blizzard. Yeah. Like you're in a blizzard. And so we like, he's like, well, come back to my cab. Cause like, at least I have diesel to last, you know, for however long we need it to. And you know, I have cigarettes and, and whatever. And so I was like, cool. Okay. So, um, he was like traveling with his cousins and uh <laughs> So we had like a whole gang of people in the a, truck? Well they weren't in the truck, oh. they were like a caravan of trucks. Oh shit. <laughs> so he had to call and be like, I pulled over because I couldn't fucking see. And so like I saw he had had his uh cousin's name saved as Albino Turd. And I was like, This dude's gonna be fine. Like, I'm fine. I'm safe. Like it's it's everything's okay. <laughs> so like, <laughs> <laughs> like, if I just spend the night, this dude is going to be fine. Like, I'm cool. <laughs> Call Albino Turd. I just, oh, I love that. I was like, yo. So, um, yeah, but during that, we eventually got to a, a motel. Uh, I stayed in this motel um, and watched Turner Classic movies all night. Um, and also, my cigarettes had gotten soaked in the blizzard, of oh, course. Soaked. Bunk. And I was so pissed. And so I'm like, okay. And the way it was set up was the uh, car repair place was here and the gas station was here and the motel was here. And they literally drove me to the motel because there was no way I could make it walking. It was too far. Like there was like four feet of snow on the ground and it's like just pummeling. And so I'm like, crap. Okay, so I'm here and I have to get to the gas station. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. So I like get out the door and I'm just like... Just like swimming, <laughs> swimming to the gas station. I like open the door of the gas station, and like I was like realize that I am covered in fucking snow, like just head to toe covered in snow. And so I like go to go back out to like stamp myself off, and I hear the guy yelling, "Just come in, it's Fuck fine, it. <laughs> it's fine." Like just come in, and so like I go in, and I buy cigarettes, and I'm like, "Thank you so much." Go back to the motel, swim back to the motel, get to the motel, realize I don't have a lighter. Oh, God There's damn. no matches in the fucking room. <laughs> so I swim back to the gas station. I forgot a lighter. He's like, here's two. They didn't have any matches at the hotel They didn't you? have any goddamn... And it was a smoking room, too. And I was just like, I'm going to write a letter <laughs> to the old man there, at the front me... desk <laughs> who's also the owner and, like, lives here, I'm pretty sure. Like... It was, uh, yeah, it's just a little unsettling to get stuck into, in, like, tiny little really conservative towns, yeah. like, and also, like, 
Because people weren't nice to water protectors. I was going to say, they, they find out why you're not. up there, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, I see where you're here, you know. They got kicked out of restaurants. Like, they got kicked out of Target. They got kicked out of, like, Lowe's. They got kicked out of everywhere. It was, like, ridiculous. And, like, they got harassed by cops. The whole fucking got, thing's ridiculous. They got, um, yeah, like, these, like, masked people, like, attacked two of them at a hotel. Our whole fucking country is ridiculous right now. Oh, I my God. Don't, I don't get it, because everybody that I talk to. yeah thinks it's crazy like yeah. okay where i see these people on tv yeah why are they not in my life like why can't i talk to them <laughs> I, don't, I, I gotta it's go out amazing. and search for these folks to try to figure it's out amazing. what i don't understand like, yeah what i don't understand i don't understand just help me there but that's the thing none of it's logic it's all based in fear and fear is irrational at the base of it fear is always irrational it is and it, it's and they're all being played and it bothers me mm-hmm. to no end it's um i liken it a lot to um religious fervor because i feel like people in this country and the society have really made too many gods there's the politician gods there's the reality tv show gods there's the um the movie gods there's the musician gods there's um you know, and there, there are all these people that are literally manufactured to appeal to um, the dark side of us that we don't act upon. Because if you think about it, like, these people get away with whatever the fuck they want to, right? And it's like, we wish we could be like that. So even if, like, we don't maybe, like, I, you know, like... Everyone has dark thoughts, so it's like, yeah, I really would like to punch someone in the face, but I'm not going to. But then, like, here a celebrity is punching someone in the face, and it's, like, not a big deal. Or beating up their girlfriend, and it's yeah, not a big deal. Yeah, and there's deal. no or, consequence for it. And, and there's no consequence, and they still make millions of dollars and shit. So it, it really, I mean, capitalism makes people sadistic, and it's just inherent to the system. And so through that sadism, they capitalize off of it by marketing to it and then creating these products that are specifically geared to make you even more sadistic, whether it's towards someone else or towards yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the real psychology of it that fucks me up is it is so self-hating. Yeah, it's all self-hating. And like. And even at like a global level, like it oh, is. Yeah. It's everywhere. <laughs> it, it's not individuals. It's like this This hatred is at where you come from. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Um, and people think that they... Well, the whole thing is that like they need to make you hate something so that you'll buy something else so that you can be away from the thing that you hate. So I have a bunch of zits on my face. I need to go buy this cream of whatever kind so that I can get rid of these zits so that I can then um, not be, you know, near them and I'm trained to hate them because I'm told I am bad if I have them and unworthy and unwanted. So that's why I always say, like, self-love is the biggest revolution that you can, like, embark upon. Because... I ask you a personal question you can say you want to plead the fifth. Did you do psychedelics growing up? No. Nope. I didn't. I was... um, I was a really good kid. Yeah. I didn't actually, I smoked my first cigarette when I was 17, but I'd already moved out of the house and like was living on my own. Um, I smoked pot that same year. I had three hits and had to be carried downstairs in the elevator. 
Because I was laughing too hard. <laughs> we were on this roof in my apartment in River Market, and, like, I lost it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because they were like, oh, most people get high their first time. And I was like, could not. Yeah, I couldn't. Stop. I couldn't get off the floor. I, I was, was in the Captain D's so in the back of a Captain right? D's, just sitting oh on the floor looking God. at the tile. And they're like, what, what's wrong with you, dude? I'm like, I'm all right. I'm all right. But I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. This is my it. space yeah, now. I am happy here. I'll clean I up when I here. come back. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here for a bit. That's amazing. So they had to carry your ass out, huh? Yeah, they had to carry me into the elevator and throw me downstairs on the couch. And I was like, call the ambulance. I'm having a heart attack. Because my heart was beating mm -hmm. really fast. I'm having a heart attack. You're not having a heart attack. Eat these cookies. Okay. You know. Um, and then I tried mushrooms for the first time. Like three years ago? Four years ago? Four years ago. Yeah. Uh, I had a terrible time. Were you in a decent set and setting, or was it just a weird environment to no, do it in? No, I was, um, I ended up having to babysit all these fucked up people at my yeah, house. Yeah, that. Not, well, not. It's unfortunate. It was not fun. No. Um, the second That's time. It's kind of nightmarish. Actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I've only done it a handful of times, yeah. like since then. Um, and the last time I did it, I was dreaming but awake. But every time I closed my eyes, like I, they were like building cities. I don't know. It was weird. But I was also crying this whole time. So it was a really weird experience. Like I wasn't upset, but my body was crying and every, and I couldn't keep my eyes open. And every time my eyes were open, everything was normal. But when I closed them, it was like I was dreaming, but I was awake. Yeah. My eyes were just closed. So it was just like a really weird in between state. So I was just like, yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. The reason I ask is because that <laughs> self-love, mm -hmm. like that cycle of where we're at as a culture, especially with, you know, this late stage capitalism and how, how we just eat, 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 mm -hmm. eat, 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 the, the psychedelic experience done right, like it really chips away at that mm -hmm. and I think reconnects, reconnects you to whatever source, you know, there is, right. whatever you want to call it. And you know, I think there's a resurgence of psychedelic culture that's coming back, like supported by science for whatever that's worth. But at the mm -hmm. same time, it gives it the sense of legitimacy that it didn't have yeah. when the counterculture came around in the 60s. And I think that's going to be a really interesting clash, again, of cultures between people that have, because there's kids out there now that are they're ingesting these psychedelics. Mm -hmm. They're way stronger than what LSD was or mm -hmm. mushrooms, you know, DMT and like really mind, mind altering. And just, I don't know how, what kind of guidance they're getting out when they're doing yeah. these experiences. But I wonder when these kids come up, like if that's going to be kind of the trigger point mm -hmm. or are we going to see like what happened from the sixties to the eighties when yeah. all those hippies turned into yuppies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I think the government has a big change because the war on drugs started then. If we mm -hmm. don't have a war on drugs by that time, and we have sensible drug policy, will it actually change the culture in a shift to, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. If it's they can find a way to make to money about, off of it, is it going to oh, get corrupted? Yeah. I mean, well, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, money taints everything. But, you know, psychedelics have been used in indigenous cultures for thousands of years. It's yeah. like rites of passage. You I know, think like, people are turning on to that. And I mean people, I mean white people. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it, you know, it is. It's the, it, the, right. It's Western a, white folks that are figuring this stuff out yeah. After 10,000 years, like, yeah, we've been telling you this for... <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, we've been doing this for a while, though. Um, but, and, and that's also, 
that does cause problems though because then what you see is like false shamans and shit who like bring in people and they like there's been a lot of cases of people like fucking dying in sweat lodges because they don't know what the hell they're doing and it's like you okay like if you feel like you need to leave the enup get out like just leave like take care of yourself don't feel like you have to stay in there forever you know um everyone's body is different and like it's just scary when people who are like touting this like false shit to make a few bucks like end up like really harming people and so that's the like capitalist section of that i think that's what it is it comes in and it tells you like hey i i went through this yeah i have to find a way to make it mine and get a little bit off of it like make money from it and so that's why like when i hear about white people going to ayahuasca ceremonies or to peyote ceremonies i'm kind of i'm just like unless you like know and what's funny is like the indigenous community is like even though there's a lot of us, it's still fairly small. Yeah. So, like, I meet someone, um, okay, so, like, for instance, uh, I have uh, Anishinaabe friends in New York who know my friends in Oklahoma, and then my friends in Oklahoma know people in New Mexico, and, like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, it's, it's like the six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon, but there's really only, like, three, you know what I mean now? So, it's, like... Because if you can even, like, name a res, like, it's like, oh, so-and-so, You'll know so-and-so you know, there. blah, 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 yeah. you know. Because a lot of indigenous people travel um, doing, you know, activism and um, spreading supplies and, you know, performing, doing powwows, uh, you know, et cetera. So it's like, you know, you get to know people. Um, and so, like, in our communities, we put out, like, hey, this person is doing a false, uh, you know, they're claiming themselves to be a false shaman and like or they're claiming themselves to be a shaman and they're like you know doing this and that or doing whatever and it's like it's really sad to see that because it's like you know this is like the most sacred and like um pure of things that could really bring us it is like there's real potential there (laughs) change like actual change and it's like but instead these people go in there and they like you know they throw on their whatever their native costume is and, like, yeah. whatever their native name is and, like, you know, it's, like, um, it's just astounding to me. Um, but not really, but it's it's just sad to me. That It is sad. I, I don't find it astounding. I find it, it's, like... It's the made-in-China ayahuasca experience. People really, they're craving that shit. That's what, yes. like, they are craving some real connection and yes. that's why we're in the state we're in <laughs> like yeah. you said there are false gods yeah and no one knows how to connect back to that real right cuz we just love a bunch of pixels basically um but like that's why i would like to see like more people going to um powwows and serving the elders like that's a great way to be like hey i'm not a fucking asshole and i would like to learn about your i just want to understand the community yeah Yeah. hey Mm -hmm. let me serve you like i'll shut the fuck up for two hours and do whatever you tell me to like you know it's like white people have such a hard time doing that i don't know why um but that's that whole thing of power yeah they just they're they're entitled to know about things and they're entitled and that's like you know i see it as a white guy especially a white guy I mean, yeah. it's that sense of. Yeah, I deserve to know because it's there, yeah. and you know. Whereas, like the indigenous is like, you know, some things just aren't for you, and it's okay. It is okay. 
It's totally okay. Like, no one is going to, like, lose their, you know, any well-being because they can't do something that's appropriative of another culture. And that's what I love when the people, like, get on all, like, oh, my God, cultural appropriation. Like, how can you never borrow from another culture and you just want everything to be blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no. (laughs) That's not what it's about at all. It's about respect. Like, you really want to have, like, appreciation for that culture, then appreciate the people that live that culture. And sometimes that means leaving them the fuck alone. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) You ever thought about running for office? Yeah, Salazar 2020. No, um, <laughs> I have a degree in political science. Um, and I have toyed with the idea of running for office. Um, mostly because I think it would be hilarious. It would be great fun. It would be great fun. Um, I think it would be nightmarish, but I also think... I think it would be so fucking funny. Y- I would show up in full drag to political debates with my opponents, um, you know, and... I'd probably resurrect the freak power ticket from, you know, Hunter S. Thompson's Aspen run for sheriff um, and write similar, you know, uh, violent diatribe. Well, yeah, but just like Thompson, like people didn't know what to think because he was so damn, like, intellectual. Like, he really knew what the fuck he was talking about. He was smart as, (laughs) yeah, he knew. He knew so much and could apply it and, like, was just, like... And tear it apart and rebuild it in yeah. an absolutely insane way. And they had to pull in people in stretchers to go vote against him. You know what I mean? He still only lost by, like, 36 votes or something ridiculous. But um, I've considered it. Um, <laughs> I've con- the. I think the only thing that really gives me hesitation on it is, um, well, I feel like the campaign would be great fun... I would probably want to murder everyone I had to work with afterwards. I think, yeah, like, the reality of it and the the bureaucracy and how, like, tied your hands really are as an elected official. Yeah. You know, as much as you would like to be the dictator and just say, look, we can fix this. Like, yeah. you really can't. It's a, it's a slow boat there, to move. The system is so old and ingrained, and it's like, if I did get elected, it would be another chip in the Shawshank Redemption Tunnel. But, like, you know... um, it's also, it, yeah, it's definitely something I'll con- I'm considering for the future. It's definitely something I would like to do. I'm not sure at what level. Um, I do think it would be hilarious to be a senator. Um, sometimes I do things because they just sound good. So I, I think it would be hilarious to be a senator for a I term. saw a cat. He was down in, he was down in Georgia. And he just ran for mayor of this small little town. Yeah. Totally bleeding heart liberal. Yeah. But he changed the whole face of that town. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, we'll give you a shot, you know? Yeah. And he brought immigrants in. Yeah. And they fucking, everybody, there's like 36 different nationalities now in this small little town. That's awesome. They decriminalized marijuana. Like, yeah. In this small little Georgian town. Right, yeah. You there's know, a little oasis of love. Just because some dude's like, I, I can do that shit. Yeah. You know? And I can't do it big, but I can do a small. Yeah. You know? And that's, you know, that's positive change one way or another. You affect a lot of people by doing yeah. that. So, so yeah, it's uh, something I'll, I definitely will consider in the future. 
Maybe when I don't feel so much like dying all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> let me get a, like a, a good week of sleep and I'll probably be up for it. <laughs> so speaking of the future, what do you got? What do you got coming down the pipe um, here? Let's see. Well, I'm taking over um, Arts Casey's Instagram tomorrow um, for two weeks. So I got the grant to write my third book, Tiny Bits of Flesh, which is going to be a collection of micro poetry. Cool. Um, it's very hard to write tiny poems. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's about I've got about 75 pages out of 150 so do you have a publisher yet? I'm going to do it myself this cool. time so we're going to foray into that jungle and see if um, see if that works I'm skeptical but we'll find out so, do you maintain an online presence outside of your Facebook? I have a website mgsalazar.com that I've recently been tinkering with but the screen on my laptop just killed itself um so that's been kind of slow going because uh, I don't have the money to replace it and also I need to get my store online and so it's kind of imperative I have a computer so I'm trying to figure that out right now we'll see what happens um but yeah I mean I do have a website and uh I have an Instagram for the shop. I have my own Instagram, but it's really just for like people I actually know. Yeah. And then I don't have a Twitter. I can't. After they erased my tweets about Standing Rock, I was done with them. Oh, shit. And yeah, that's about it. All right. Yeah, so. Well, I will direct folks your way. Cool. Thank yeah, you thank for you. your time. Absolutely. I really appreciate the chat. No, this is great. <laughs> MG Salazar, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank MG for her time today. You can find her online at mgsalazar.com. You could also take a visit to her shop, The Scullery Maid. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank Is You Is or Is You Ain't for the music. If you would like to get in touch, please send an email to litkcpod at gmail.com. I'd like to thank Taking News Breaks. And what a luxury that is and what a privilege it is to sometimes be in the dark and not have to live this news every single day of your life. Some aren't so lucky.